You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, a conversational podcast series from NASA's Ames Research Center to chat with the various scientists, researchers, engineers, and all-around cool people at NASA. As a quick reminder, we will have a new conversation with a NASA expert posted every Wednesday. As you might have noticed, we're also posting a few podcasts here and there of feature stories from NASA.gov. I'm literally just reading the stories out loud for folks that might be listening to the podcast but haven't actually been to NASA.gov to read the stories for themselves. As always, if you have feedback, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at NASA Ames and use the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Today's guest is David J. Smith, scientist in the Biosciences Research Branch at NASA Ames. Uh, We discuss NASA's extensive work on space biology and how the experiments on the International Space Station help prepare us for the journey to Mars. Uh, We discuss the difference between space biology and astrobiology and how science is trying to answer some of the deepest human existential questions. Here is Dave Smith. What brought you to Silicon Valley? What brought you to the Bay Area? How'd you get to Ames? West Coast is the best coast. <laughs> uh, although I grew up in Colorado. And then I actually worked at... Close Ken- enough. You can I, drive. I worked at Kennedy Space Center for seven years and then made the jump over here to Ames about a year and a half ago. Really? So how'd you end up over at Kennedy? Like- I wanted to see rockets launched. I mean, it yeah. was what inspired me to come work for NASA in the first place. Was so. it a thing like straight out of school? Did you actually study? I mean, especially in space biology, I'm like, were you an astrophysicist or a biologist who was really into, like, how, how, does, how does that mix in? Or how to- yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I fell in love with biology at a pretty early age and was always fascinated by astronomy. And when I was growing up, there were a lot of books being published in an emerging field called astrobiology and the field's tackling really ambitious questions. Oh, Where did wow. we come from? Are we alone? How do we find life? Yeah, yeah. Where would we look? And the more I thought about that, I realized we we're going to have instruments and spacecraft and hopefully humans someday exploring the surface of other worlds or looking at distant worlds for signs of life. And in order to mm-hmm. do that, we really need to understand biology here. Yeah. So uh, I went and got myself trained in biology. But I always okay. kept my eye on astronomy and earth science. And did you do that in Colorado, or were no? You I went to I went to Princeton for college, and then after that, I did my PhD at the University of Washington, which has a fantastic program in astrobiology for graduate students. It's a big difference than heading over to the heat of Cape Canaveral. This is true. I, I spent a lot of time in the air conditioning indoors while I was living in Florida. It seems perpetual times of indoors, indoors air conditioning to your air conditioned car. To hey, your it's a good apartment. excuse to stay in the laboratory and uh, stay on task and get a lot of work done. <laughs> Excellent. So was that straight out of school, straight to Kennedy? Or yeah, I was, I was really lucky. I landed in uh, NASA's Pathway program, yeah. which allowed me to actually pursue my PhD at the University of Washington. And then it allowed me to pursue my PhD at the University of Washington and also uh, put in about three months per year at Cape Canaveral, working at Kennedy Space Center. The cell photo alert is like, the work of an astrobiologist never yeah. ceases. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go ahead and put that on mute. Hey, it's all good. Um, so that's cool. You were at uh, Kennedy for seven years. Did off and on. Off while, and on. While pursuing my graduate degree. And then after I finished my PhD, I moved out there, worked for two years full time before coming over to Ames to join the Space Biosciences Division. Okay, did they have a space bioscience thing at Kennedy? That's an interesting primary? question. So Kennedy actually has a lot of life science infrastructure on center, and the reason for that is biological payloads need to 
get prepared and packaged before launch. And so you need yeah. to have that right there on site before you put something in the rocket. And then when the samples return, it's also nice to have the facilities and laboratories there to analyze the samples right away. I figure you're going to have a bad day if a thing goes up in the rocket and the rattling and it, <laughs> your well, the, experiments the, fall apart. The challenging thing about doing biological experiments in space whether you're doing it on what we used to fly the space shuttle or doing it today on the International Space Station, is uh, you need to usually load samples as late as you can. They're biological. They're yeah, alive. Absolutely. Yeah, and, a certain time. And, and there are only certain types of life that can be okay with being packaged and sitting on the shelf for six months. A lot of wow. microorganisms can withstand that if you dry them out. But uh, other types of life, not so much. And so you want to have the opportunity to put them inside the hardware and put them on the, the rocket as late as possible. And having laboratories on site at Kennedy Space Center really helps you do that. And then did the pathway, I know with the Pathways program, were you able to jump around to different centers or for primarily school and Kennedy? I did get to drive across the country 13 times between really? Seattle and Cape Canaveral. Wow! For each tour of duty, which was probably the highlight of uh, Seattle my, to my Cape 20s. Canaveral. That is a yeah. diagonal, literally the longest drive. Uh, <laughs> I guess hey, if hey, going to, to Mars is going to be longer someday for <laughs> a lucky crew. But yeah, it was great. Always uh, stopped along the way and yeah. saw new national parks. Thankfully, since I grew up in Colorado, it was a convenient pit stop right in the middle. So it was just a job you applied for. Just came on over, found an opening, or how? how uh, I wanted to gain more space flight experience and I wanted to work with biologists from all across the country who are flying stuff to the space station and that's what we do in the space biosciences division we help make that happen so uh, I'm lucky to have a job where I get to work with lots of smart people yeah. at universities and in industry and help them fly biology to space uh, it's an awesome awesome job description it, it's a cool experience I went to the SpaceX 8 launch and it, it that was, was a night launch wasn't it no, this was a day one. I think the more it was the oh, one when nine, they first landed. Nine on. that just went was a night yes. launch, right? But talking to one of the staff, one of the people working there, I'm you know it was the first time for me to see a rocket launch, and I'm just in awe of like sure. this is amazing. But it was a cool response where he was like, "Yeah, but you guys do all the science over at Ames that goes up. This is why we do this, is for that." And so it was a cool, it was a cool callback, you know, to Ames where coming around in this research center of you know creating the things that will eventually go up into the space station so it takes a ton of work and effort to finally get something packaged and installed inside that spacecraft before it launches so you're right it's extremely satisfying and definitely emotional when you finally see it take off excellent um so talk a little bit more about your about where you're working now in, in the biosciences right. division so wh what are the, some of the cool stuff that you guys are working on yeah my my focal area is in microbiology and this year has been a banner year for molecular biology on the space station we have new instrumentation up there and we even have a molecular biologist kate rubens who's mm -hmm. flying right now and uh we are absolutely doing the kinds of things that you would be doing on the ground in a sophisticated molecular biology lab finally on the space station so it's a game changer and we can do all kinds of neat analyses that we couldn't do before and all of that's happened this year and so like what kind of payloads or what what do you guys what does your day-to-day -day look like now or, or even i'm guessing there's variations of different types of science projects going on. Is there a big range of different projects, or is yeah, everybody can, kind of all hands on deck for one thing? Or? No, no. So, so the NASA Space Biology Program that I support funds 
investigators mostly uh, at universities across the country to fly experiments to space. And to make that happen, you have to do a lot of ground studies, and then eventually you get packaged into hardware and flown to the space station. But not everybody does that at the same time. Yeah. So I've got teams that I support that are all across that time frame and timeline. And um, we've got folks that flew on SpaceX-8, the one that you saw. Yeah. We had a couple of investigators that were flying interesting experiments that were both related to microbiology. There was an experiment called Micro-10, led by a yeah. principal investigator from the University of Southern California. Okay. Uh, his name's Dr. Clay Wong. And uh, what they were flying is a type of fungus that produces um, a type of compound called uh, second, secondary metabolite. And a lot. Secondary metabolite. Yeah, so okay. that may not mean a lot to you, but um, different types of fungi on this planet, they respond to stress by forming these compounds. And some of those okay. compounds have actual um, pharmaceutical applications. We can use them to make us healthy. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. Penicillin is an example of that. Um, so the reason that they were flying this fungus to the space station was to see if any new hidden pathways emerge to the unique stress of microgravity and higher radiation. There may be new compounds that yeah. we couldn't produce here on the ground that we can produce in space. So that was really what they were trying to poke in. I, mean, I guess it makes sense when, when organisms have evolved over millions of years with on gravity Earth, on with them, gravity, right. then you put them in a place where there's little We, we may know. see a different response. Yeah. And that response could benefit life on Earth if we can uh, figure out what those compounds are and if uh, they can potentially keep us healthier. Yeah, and as, as that applies to microorganisms, eventually applying stuff to humans and a long-term journey to Mars, as you're you talking it. about a long trip, it, it behooves us to understand how the body is going to react to spending that much time in space. Exactly right. So, um, now, touch a little bit on the differences of space biology versus astrobiology. Yeah. Because no, I know no, there's a difference. Yeah, indeed. But The way I think about it is is simply this. With space biology, we intentionally take <laughs> terrestrial biology into space to see how it responds. Okay. And that r runs across the spectrum from microorganisms all the way up to rodents and even humans. Um, and of course, NASA has a human research program as well, Obviously, too, yeah. that studies this, the safety and health of the crew. Whereas astrobiology is kind of understanding and asking, uh, are we alone? <laughs> what is the extent, if any, and distribution of life in the universe? Uh, where did we come from? How did Earth life evolve to be the way it is? Yeah. And of course, how can you detect it? What, what, do, what do you even do to look for it? Where do you look and how do you look? Those are the kinds of things that astrobiology examines. Yeah, it, it kind of figures if you're looking for life on other planets or even within our own solar system, like it, it behooves you to understand what's going on here sure. with our own so you know what to look for. You got it. Yeah, do you, are you guys in sync with a lot of some of those other um, programs that are out looking for other, you know, whether it's the Kepler program or other different programs? Or well, well, uh, space biology is, is definitely on a different track, but yeah. it's all related to the fundamental NASA mission. I mean, ultimately, we want to be able to send uh, humans to the surfaces of other worlds, including Mars. Um, that means uh, terrestrial biology, us, and the things that we carry in the spacecraft are going to another world. That is space biology. We need to understand how the cells are going to respond to a long-term mission beyond low Earth orbit. That is space biology. And on the surface of Mars, guess what? The crew is going to be doing astrobiological investigations as well, too. Yeah. And the kinds of things that a crew or a spacecraft that's um, robotic, like the ones we've been sending recently, have been setting the stage for examining 
Martian regolith and rocks and looking for water and then ultimately looking for if there are nutrients there for mm -hmm. um, extant or even extinct life. So there's a possibility that there's still life on Mars and we want to be able to, to look for it. We also want to be able to analyze the rocks to see if there are any signatures of life that used to be on the planet but no longer is thriving. What, what's looking hopeful in our, in our own solar system, in our own backyard? People are really excited about Mars, of course, especially after the discovery of pockets of liquid water. And I know you talked to Mary Beth about that. People are excited about the uh, European Ocean underneath yeah. all of the ice. Of course, NASA's got a spacecraft that's going to be going there uh, in the years ahead. So those are really exciting targets. And um, other astrobiologists spend time thinking about whether we can analyze the plumes that are ejected from Enceladus. One of the yeah, I remember hearing Saturn a thing about, about sending a probe sure. walking, going around. and Some people even think up. we should uh, take a look at Titan. Titan yeah. has a lot of organic molecules that maybe some kind of life that thrives in cold could figure out a way of using. Um, and, people, and, in, people in my field have even discussed there's a sweet spot in the upper atmosphere of Venus. Venus has got a very thick atmosphere and way up above the surface, <laughs> way up above the surface, there may be a possibility of life that stays afloat uh, and grabs some molecules that it can use if there's enough water there and if it's protected from UV. So, uh, listen, we don't really eliminate many targets in the solar system <laughs> because, you know, we, we have one example of life as we know it here on this planet, and yeah. we, we definitely have to open ourselves up to the possibility of weird life, life that we wouldn't recognize, but we have to be diligent and thoughtful uh, about how we search for it. Are you guys able to, do you guys do a lot of work um, I'm just thinking of like like Antarctica or deep ocean because it's like that's been one of those things as you hear about of life existing on this planet in places that we never thought it would. Yeah, we're and continuously surprised, promising. aren't we? Yeah, right. yeah. That's why NASA's been following the water, so to speak, on Mars. A lot of the robotic spacecraft have been trying to characterize the uh, aquatic history of that planet for that reason, because here on Earth, wherever you find water, you tend to find life. Looking between, you know, looking at Ames and, you know, being in Silicon Valley, but are there other centers that are also, or I'm guessing there has to be a lot of institutes who are all looking at this. This is a big question. Absolutely. So I'd imagine you guys are all in sync and kind of, you know, like talking about your different findings and... That, that's the beauty of working for NASA. We've got field centers and scientists and uh, astrobiology programs and um, space biology investigators, and uh, they're scattered all across this country. And we work with people at universities and, and industry, like I said, to try and develop new technologies and share our results and think about how we do what we do in a way that uh, we're going to be able to make some revolutionary discoveries quite frankly in the century ahead what, what seems to you to be like the most promising or or what gets you excited of you know whether it's a location or, or a field or you know people are always asking you know should we send robots to other worlds to explore or should we send humans and yeah. um, as far as i'm concerned we need to do all of the above yes <laughs> and so i'm excited about what um, robotic spacecraft can teach us in order for us to once we get there with a crew of scientists and engineers yeah. and doctors and whoever else we send. Once we get there, how do we best use our time on the surface of that world? And uh, we are going to make some amazing discoveries on Mars. They're just waiting for us, and we got to get there, and uh, it's going to take time, and we're going to have to build a lot of new technologies and test a lot of things along the way, but we'll get there. And I think when we um, take a look at what Mars has to teach us, we are going to find some things out about ourselves here on this planet. So, I mean, that's why I come to work every day, because uh, I think those, those kinds of 
questions that we're going to tackle at Mars are going to inspire not only the next generation of scientists here, but are fundamentally going to improve the human experience. And the reason I say that is because we're curious creatures. We want to know where we came from. Yeah. And if we can get to the point where we better understand the universe, which uh, ultimately created us, (laughs) that's a really powerful thing to understand. And uh, it makes me really excited. I mean, you came up as a biologist. Does that tend to be the typical career path? I mean, we've got a pretty diverse team with uh, a lot of people that are adaptable. I think uh, if you're interested in working for NASA, being a generalist and having a a set of skills that that you can put into any project, be it in life science or engineering or um, coding, um, you'll, you'll find a way to fit in here. And so in my experience, yes, having a foundation of biological training has been super useful, but yeah. I've worked with investigators and teams that send stuff to the space station that um, includes organisms that I've never worked with before. But um, there are a lot of fundamental principles that you learn um, through biological education that you can apply to uh, what we do here at NASA when we send space biology experiments to space. Does, your, does um, space biology primarily focus like in lockstep with the ISS and sending stuff up there, or is there other work that isn't necessarily destined for the space station, but yeah, is still so, critical and stuff that you need to, you know, that you guys are working on. Right. So for every maybe hour of time doing an experiment on the space station, you've probably done a hundred or even more <laughs> hours on, of work on the ground in your laboratory to make sure you, yeah. you really understand the system and the hardware that you're using. So we do a lot of ground experiments before anything flies to space. And okay. uh, we also have some ways of mimicking the space environment here on the ground. Really? Radiation facilities, um, there are certain ways of mimicking microgravity uh, to some extent, depending on the organism that you're working with. Uh, But really, I think the prize for a lot of people in the field of space biology is getting something flown to the space station. And uh, right now, the program is really excited about doing experiments beyond low Earth orbit, which is where the space station is now. We want to get outside of Earth's magnetic uh, field yeah. and really get hit with heavy radiation to see, sorry, we, not we. not meaning me personally, <laughs> but the, the model organisms that we fly so that we can understand what happens when uh, terrestrial life gets exposed to high radiation. And the reason we're going to use model organisms uh, to do that is so we can better inform how to protect us humans yes, someday once we leave low Earth orbit and go to Mars or other destinations in the solar well, system. Also, as you think of the, the space station that's flying around the Earth in orbit, it's still protected by the magnetosphere to a certain extent. I mean, not as much as we are, but they still have a certain amount of right. protection. Mm-hmm. But then you imagine once you're out in that void, you know, you know, yeah, you're vulnerable. Lunar, yeah, it's, a, it's completely different. L- listen, we can't predict really solar flares and we get a little bit of warning uh, in ter- after a big one's yeah. happened, you've got, I think it takes eight minutes for, for it to get to arrive to for Earth. For light to arrive to Earth. But my point is that uh, we really need to understand what happens, f- especially with ionizing radiation and um, what's going to happen to terrestrial life in that, in that uh, unprotected void between planets. And even once you get to Mars, Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. And so we're going to have to figure out ways there to, to shield life that we send to Mars to make sure it doesn't get fried. Seems like you're gonna you're not gonna lack of any amount of experiments and things to work on this to try true. to figure this all out to figure this puzzle out. Yeah, thankfully I'm not doing it by myself. There's nice. a, a ton of people here at Ames, other NASA centers, and of course the investigators that we fund. Everybody's got their 
uh, investigations that are all kind of driving towards that same end goal. Do you work with a lot of people like in the Bay Area? Is there different? Yeah, we're groups? really lucky here. Yeah. We've got some great universities and great companies just down the road. Yeah. So uh, I've got a collaborator at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Yes, that's right on the other side of the bay, right? Yeah, it's Close about 40 minutes from here. And okay. we're working together on uh, what will be called microbial tracking two. It's a okay. flight experiment that will hopefully fly next autumn to the space station. And what we're going to do is collect samples from the crew members, uh, the surfaces of the space station and air samples, bring them back to the ground, and then using some of the latest and greatest molecular biology tools at Lawrence Livermore and at the Jet Propulsion Lab and at Johnson Space Center and here at Ames, uh, we're going to comprehensively characterize everything we find from the space station. So we're trying to make sure that the longer a closed spacecraft is occupied by humans, um, that something doesn't go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten sick after traveling on an airplane? Absolutely, like every single time. <laughs> right, because uh, the inside of the that- time change will even mess you the up. The inside of that aircraft is not necessarily pristine. Yes, and it's you've got recirculated air, air. And the tray table that you dropped down hasn't always been wiped clean. <laughs> or the coffee pot, for right. that matter. <laughs> That's right. So, um, I mean, think about a crew in the space station or eventually on its way to Mars. Uh, the longer they're in that enclosed environment, it's not like they can just open a window and air it out. Exactly. So we, we're really trying to understand how do the microorganisms inside a closed or built environment change over time the longer that that environment is occupied. So the microbial two, uh, excuse me, the microbial tracking two experiment yeah. that we're, we're flying, led by the scientist Crystal Jang at Lawrence Livermore, that's really what we're going to be trying to examine. How does it change over time? Are there any potential pathogens that are emerging? Okay different situations yeah so if i'm somebody who's super interested in space biology where do i go to get more information i'm guessing you go to nasa.gov that's a great starting a point we also have a space biosciences division website and all of our researchers have home pages that describe the kinds of really? uh, topics they tackle in their laboratories so definitely take a look at that there's no lack of content for you there's no lack of content the other thing you can do if um you're not quite ready to come work for NASA, you still are in school, is take a look at the scientists that are funded by the NASA Space Biology Program. All of those are posted online as well, too. And as I mentioned before, they're all across the country at many different institutions. And so if you're a student interested in getting trained in space biology, a good idea would be to plant yourself at one of those schools and work with okay. the faculty members there that are funded by Space Biology Program. Excellent. Thanks a lot for coming on over, Dave. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>